0: My name is Andy Cahill. I'm a transformational coach, and I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an incredible array of practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. My guest today is Dr. Anise Fischer. Anise is the CEO and founder of two different initiatives, the Be Free Woman and Developing Capacity Coaching. With more than 15 years experience leading individuals, teams, and organizations through change processes, Anise has learned how to help them use conscious leadership as a tool for inner healing and advancing equity. She's also a professor at American University, where she teaches doctoral students how to exercise conscious leadership in their work as educators. In our conversation today, we cover a wide range of territory, including what it is to be a healer and what it means to heal, and also what it is to lead and how to wake up to your power as an individual wherever you are in life. She walks us through her four-step methodology for that awakening process, and I just found it to be an incredibly generous, caring and restorative conversation about who we are as people and what it means to live from a place of love. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties with this call. We weren't able to do it over video, and the audio dropped on a couple of occasions. I made some edits to that effect. I promise you're not losing anything substantive from the conversation. For instance, there's a moment where Anise references Paulo Freire, and I do my best to pick up the audio right where she left off. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with your friends and colleagues, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. So here we go, Dr. Anise Fisher. So I'm really pleased to be here with Anise Fisher today. Anise, welcome to the Wonder Dome.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's such a treat. I want to start by sharing a story, one of the first times that we met in person. So Anise and I crossed paths because we're involved with a community of leaders, adaptive leaders, a group of practitioners who are committed to the question of how do we navigate through problems and challenges where we don't know the answer, where we've thrown time, money, and resources at the question and the answer isn't emerging. And that's an adaptive challenge. So Anise and I are part of this group of practitioners, a global group. There's many, many people who study this methodology. And we were involved with planning a conference a couple years ago to bring together adaptive leadership practitioners. And Anise was co-chair of the planning committee. And Anise, I remember the first night of the conference where you and our colleague, Michael, had a chance to speak to the whole group. And, and folks can probably relate to this you kind of know someone one way you're working with them on a project. And so you just sort of see each other through that lens of like, here's a person who's doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, Anissa is in a leadership role. So she's making certain decisions. And I'm in, in my role. So I'm, I'm, I'm acting on those decisions in the way that's relevant. Well, here, suddenly I got to see you not as just a voice on the phone, although here we are again, as just voices on the phone, but actually as, a, as this really powerful human being who stepped up onto the stage and challenge this group of practitioners in an inspiring but head-on way around all the ways that we as leaders need to take ownership over who we are and how we show up, our blind spots, our limitations, our prejudices and biases, and the sense that it's time to let more people to the table, that we can't keep having the same small group of white men, for instance, stepping into a leadership role. And the room, you could could hear, and the moment that you finished, you could hear a pin drop. And then the moment after that, just this sense of huge excitement and possibility. You had injected this group of people with this amazing energy. And I just, so I'm so excited to have you here on the call. And my hope is that people listening will get some of that energy because I experienced you as a real warrior for, a world in which every person has the right to, to be at the table. Wow.
1: Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So my hope today is that we can play, that we can explore what it means to be an adaptive leader, that mm-hmm. we can explore what it means to be conscious and awake as a leader, that we can explore what it means to make organizations and communities and societies more diverse more inclusive more equitable Mm -hmm. not because that's just a nice thing to do but actually because it is fundamental to our future as a people and as a species how does that sound
1: it sounds great i'm looking forward to it
0: yeah great so I'm finding myself really curious to hear more about what that experience was like for you, that story I just shared. And I don't know, maybe Mm. me sharing it brought you back to that moment, but it struck me that that was a really important moment for everyone, including you. And I'd love to hear you. What were you standing for in that moment when you're speaking to this this room filled with people from every sector, industry, background, all of whom identify as leaders? What was that like?
1: Wow, Andy, I did go back to that moment. Um, you you were able to channel me back to that hotel room at the Sheraton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ironically, uh, we assembled, you know, this group of uh, leaders, about 220 people from mm-hmm. around the world, from from over 20 different countries. And it happened... Um, right after, you know, the elections in the United States. And we were seeing just a lot of uncertainty in the world Mm -hmm. from uh, the elections here, what was happening in Germany, what was happening in France. You know, we were at a time where people were feeling very uncertain about the world. And um, ironically, we find ourselves there today where, you know, people Mm -hmm. are feeling a level of uncertainty. And, you know, the theme of the conference was leading during unsettling times. Mm -hmm. And what I was hoping to do with that talk was to get us to think about, you know, how do we meet each other at the table and try to meet each other, not from a place of uh, you being different from me and you having, you know, X agenda. Uh, How can I meet you at the table? with the purity of heart to learn, to grow together, to try and figure out how can we exercise leadership during this uncertain time. Um, I was also very well aware that we had assembled together one of the most diverse programs, I would say the most diverse program ever for the Adaptive Leadership Network. Mm. I mean, we really pushed the envelope. We took it from being, you know, more so a a big lab and focus solely on the the teachers to bringing in the talent from within the organization, as well as those outside the organization to bring light to what are the different ways that we need to be thinking about leadership and addressing adaptive and complex issues during this period of time.
0: Mm. So
1: I was aware that I was uh, speaking into uh, a program that, people weren't used to seeing with the adaptive network. Mm. Um, Mm. I was also speaking into a place where people were feeling uncertain in the world. Um, But yet I was trying to channel the part of me that believes, you know, 99.1% of people in the world are doing the best they can. Uh, They don't wake up and seek to cause harm or do things that are xenophobic or racist or sexist or any of those things. We've just been socialized by our environment and we know that that's most of the, the way most of the world operates. Then, how do we meet people at that point? And I say 0.9% because I do think there are some fringe groups out there that are actually <laughs> promoting those things.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. So, I was trying to channel that. I was also trying to encourage us not to just sit around in the room and be a bunch of intellectuals. I wanted to pull on some of the work of. of but, yeah, um, say more
0: about Palo Ferre.
1: Yes. So um Paulo Freire uh was a Brazilian activist and he wrote uh one of the most quintessential education books of our time, um, actually before my time, called Pedagogy of the Oppressed, mm-hmm. which essentially looks at um the, the point of this text was to was to think about how do you uh liberate people. It's called liberation theology. And one of the things that he was emphasizing is that uh, in order for the oppressed to be liberated, they have to liberate the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And he also talks about the importance of putting learning in the context of the learner. He talks about the importance of having a dialogue form of education versus a problem posing for dialogue where we're engaging in learning from one another, bringing our own truths to the story versus me just telling you something and expecting you to adhere to whatever it is that I'm telling you. But uh, he's one of the best, uh, I, I highly recommend the book, Pedagogy of the Press. So I was trying to pull in some of what, he's, what, what he talks about in his book, which is like, if we want to bring liberation, then you have to work together with people. It is not somebody coming in to save an organization or save a community. So I was channeling him, channeling Ron Heifassett's work, really just trying to get us to think about how do we enter this conversation? from a place of openness willingness to reach across the aisle and think about what are we going to do to exercise leadership and try to move our world forward that's that's what I was thinking um Mm -hmm. when I wrote I actually wrote that speech uh like two o'clock in the morning the, the the night before
0: yeah I mean it had almost a quality of 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 just, and I mean, this as really in the best sense possible. It felt like you were speaking your truth and speaking from the heart as opposed to just delivering a prepared speech. Yeah. Uh, and in my experience as as someone who, who talks to a lot of creatives and does a lot of creativity, it's those moments where something just comes out, it's two in the morning and, and it mm-hmm. just has to come out. That's usually a sign that it's really powerful and important and needs to be said. So thank you for, for making space for that. There are so many threads we can pull on here, but one thing that that kept pinging for me as you were reliving that moment for yourself is there was another uh, there was another great speech, and I can't remember if it was the same night or the next night, but I'm, the the two are con- connecting for me from the great teacher Dean Williams, and uh, I'll I'll put some more references to who Dean is in the show notes for people who are curious. But the short version is he's one of these teachers that Anise referred to who in the past, when the Adaptive Leadership Network gathered, it was like, let's all let the teachers hold the space for us and okay. we'll be here to learn. And to your point, you're, you're sort of pushing us to say, no, we all collectively need to make this the space. We can't just keep looking to the quote-unquote sage on the stage to exactly. tell us how to be. We actually have to walk together. And, and what pinged for me is something Dean said about how things that were once adaptive, things that once worked, become maladaptive they no longer work mm-hmm. and the problem is when we keep applying something that did once work to a, to a problem or to a space when it no longer works that seems to be one of our achilles heels as a species as we lose sight of the need to iterate evolve innovate grow and we keep mm-hmm. doing the same old thing even when clearly there's a need for something new yeah. and i wonder like you know, hopefully everyone's safe at home as they hear this. We're in this Mm -hmm. moment, clearly, as you alluded to, this is March, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and there's a lot of specific things that we should all be doing, like staying safe and stay at home as best as we're able, right? So that's like, that's a thing that needs to happen. But if we really zoom out and look more collectively at our society right now and at at the world right now, I just wonder, like, where else do you see that that call needs to happen where we need to invite people to the table to have the adaptive conversation to say, we've been doing the thing that's worked until now it's not working anymore. And how could we maybe start to have a new conversation where we can find a new way to work?
1: Yeah. So I want to, there are several parts to that question. So I'm Mm going to try to uh, break it down a little bit. Um, uh, starting one with the story and then I'll go into how I'm inviting people to the conversation through my class and other means. You know, um, I think it's really critical for us to have this conversation about where are we now. I think part of h- how we've ended up in this place um, is because I feel like we've lost our way a little bit as as humanity. Now I'm, I'm gonna uh, paint this, For you Uh, and not as a a doom and gloom but um you know last night I was uh trying to go to sleep and I just felt a sense of like heaviness on my heart Mm -hmm. and I just kept hearing in my head like we've lost our way and uh and I was pushing myself to think about what what do I mean by that like what 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 and how have we lost our way and I I just, you know, started thinking like, you know, I'm 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 deeply saddened by sort of the state of, you know, our manhood and womanhood and how we interact with one another and the hardened hearts that we have. And and then I started thinking like, what is my hope during this pandemic? Mm-hmm. Right? What is the hope? Because and I could keep going on all the ways I felt deeply saddened. And then I started thinking about my hope and my hope during this time is for us to go into a period of reflection, uh, healing and restoration. Like that's what I believe this pandemic is going to do for us. And um, and I think it's going to cause us as, as a people to pause and reflect on our own individual actions and behaviors and how they've contributed to What has happened globally in our world and and but the reason why I believe we're going to be pushed into that point of reflection because all the ways that we were distracted before Are have been removed right? I mean from going out to games bars, you know Everything that one would do to distract yourself. It is it has been pulled away And so it's going to cost time for us to go in and reflect and because a lot of our financial systems uh education like everything is being disrupted everything that can be shaken is being shaken and it's being disrupted so even when we come out from the pandemic it won't be a return back to what we had we will have to co-create together as a society what does it look like to truly restore our humanity and i think that's how we start to have the conversation from an adaptive lens
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Right. What does it mean um, for me to sort of go inward and think about my own actions, my own behaviors, how I show up? And um, are those things in alignment with my values? If not, then how do I make those adjustments and changes so that I can be a better uh, human counterpart to other people in the world? Um, I think it's also going to have a lot of us think about our purpose and and what we should be doing in this world and how how we can contribute to um, our collective needs. And so that's what I feel like this time is going to do for us. Mm -hmm. And I believe we're going to see people like your podcast opening up spaces for us to have some of those healing and and restoration conversations. Because I think what it does is it shifts people's mindsets from being focused on the doom and gloom to bringing it back to like the human side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about how can we create the world that we, we desire to create? Yeah. in what i'm considering to be a reset uh yeah. so that's the first part of your question
0: Do you might um go ahead i so there's just uh, uh, if we can hold the second part uh hopefully we can get to it because I, I know you're going to have some really good stuff but i, I want to tune in for people who are listening there's this moment and to anisa's point we can avoid this moment our whole lives because there's lots of ways to distract ourselves from this moment but there is this moment where we realize that the way we are as an individual needs to change. Something needs to shift. And it might be because we're in a relationship that doesn't serve us, or it might be because we're in a job that doesn't, seems out of alignment, or it might be because we're realizing that we're showing up to a person we're in relationship with in a way that's not healthy and that we can shift and make the relationship better, whatever that moment is. All of us have the potential to face that moment. And it's what I hear you saying is that right now, a lot of us are potentially going to be faced with that moment, whether we like it or not. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you work with so many people from so many walks of life as a coach and as a teacher and as a consultant. And to to a certain extent, they're, they're opting in at least, or at least they think they are, to... <laughs> to to the question of like, okay, I want to get better at the X, Y, and Z. And in my experience as a coach, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is often what people think they want isn't what they, isn't what they really need or isn't what they really want underneath, that you have to kind of peel back some layers of the onion before you get to the heart of something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that can be really scary and really yeah. uncomfortable. So I'm wondering if you, if you could like speak a bit more to, to people who are, who are willing to lean into the invitation that you extended. Use yeah. this as a sacred time to reflect and ask the question, how can I be a better human counterpart to my fellow humans? Yeah. How, how might you, if you were able to kind of like zoom into someone's living room as they're having that moment, how would you hold space for them or how would you help them walk into that, that question without kind of hitting the eject button?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll say this. I'll tell the story of my students, because uh, I think it'll answer your question mm. from 15 different perspectives. Mm. So, mm. Um, I was brought on board at American University to design the personal leadership components of their new doctoral program in education policy and leadership. It's the first time they have a doctoral program at American University. And it's a completely online program with live Zoom class sessions. So we actually Mm. meet every Thursday. And so I designed a course called Exercising Conscious Leadership. And uh, the definition of conscious leadership um, is your ability to choose mindsets, emotions, and behaviors that lead to the highest version of yourself, which is a version of self that operates from a place of trust and love. And that process is guided by four practices, choice, presence, self-awareness, and intentionality. Mm. And really what conscious leadership is, it's, it's about trying to create a world where we move from a place of trust and love versus fear and doubt. Um, a lot of what is, uh, causing challenges in our relationships, both in our organizations and with a number of the adaptive challenges that we have in the world is that we're showing up out of fear. We're showing up out of doubt and that's creating a lot of this conflict intentions. And so when the students, uh, started the class, I did a podcast for them to give them an overview. And then when they came Mm -hmm. to class and, uh, the first day, uh, I joke with them now, We're in week week nine now, and it's beautiful. I can't wait to share in a second where the growth is. But during the first week of class, they wanted to, you know, throw me out there to the wolves. And I said, (laughs) we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about doubt. We're going to talk about, you know, perceptions of ourselves, or we've distorted our perception of self. We're going to talk about ego and pride. And, you know, they were just looking at me like, excuse me, Dr. Fisher, you want us (laughs) to talk about these things? And, um, you know, and I said, yeah, you know, the whole point is you all are in a program where you, you are being trained to be system level leaders, to transform education, to try and disentangle the inequity in the system. And what I found is that when we talk about the study of leadership, you know, we focus sometimes on the practices a lot you should do this in this situation, you Mm. should do that in that situation. And what I found is that, I can teach someone all the practices, I can teach you the entire adaptive leadership practice with my eyes closed. But if you show up to the table and you're operating in fear, or you doubt that you yourself have the power to actually bring the change that's needed, all of those practices are gonna go out the window. And so it really pushed me in my own practice to take a step back and say, we need to step back and focus on the personal leadership part of this. How are you deploying yourself personally? And how can we examine our own selves, heal our own self so that we can be much more effective when we're trying to lead change with other people. And so, you know, what was beautiful to watch were these 15 individuals from all different um, ages, different points in their careers, who were skeptical that we were going to be talking about emotions and behaviors and mindsets, Mm. to now in week nine, I watched them, uh, uh, not not watch, excuse me, I was reading their paper. So in the midway through the semester, they put together their emerging theory of conscious leadership through a concept map and then a two-page analysis paper And to read the their analysis papers, and to look at their theories on the map, I was in tears on my couch because I saw their growth and their evolution about what they had learned about themselves and how, you know, they didn't realize that they were leading from a lot of fear or that Mm. uh, their ego was in the way. We talked about power struggles and how do you release power struggles? You know, um, we talked a lot about identity because oftentimes we don't, discuss that with leadership and i shared with them some adult learning theories and you know how do you you know show up in your identity not because of how society says you should act but because of how you want to Mm -hmm. show up in your identity you don't have to be the stereotype of a black woman or a white male um and so to watch them even through class discussions push themselves and, and and really start to tease apart, like, who am I as a person that's seeking to exercise leadership? And what are my strengths and where do I need to grow? And and then to have them, to lead them through work that was on love and healing, healing from past wounds of leadership, and then to see them produce these works, I mean, my heart was just moved. And to me, you know, um, what, what makes me really excited about that is that, you know, when we... When we, you know, embark on a coaching experience or a leadership development program, you know, in the beginning, it, it can be sort of scary because you don't know what's going to happen, right? You're signing yourself up for something that you know is going to peel back some layers. But one of the things I share with them that I share with everybody is one, trust the process,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but also um, when you lean into this process, you're going to get free. And so everything that I do is freedom work. And I know some people think of freedom workers marching in the streets and things like that. That's one aspect of it. My, my goal in life is for people to be physically, spiritually, and mentally free. Mm. And this class, Exercise and Conscious Leadership allows me to do that, to watch them begin to take ownership of who they are and love themselves and push back on you know, labels and things that had been put on them has been very beautiful for me to see. And um, w- w- the basis of conscious leadership and and the w- and when I'm coaching people, even in my own private practice, is the first thing. We have power and choice in every situation. It's up to us to decide whether or not we want to use it. That's the basis. I say that first day I'm coaching a client. I say that in my class all the time. Now, my students are saying it and my clients are saying it too, but we do. <laughs> we have power and choice in every situation. It's up to us to determine if we want to use it. What I found, Andy, is a lot of people are in the world um, as if we don't have power, right? As if like we are powerless. And, and, and we do. We have the ability in every situation, we have a choice. And when I say we have power, that power is how do you choose to use your mindsets, behaviors, and emotions in a given space? Are you going to choose to use that power to be in trust and love, which means that you trust yourself, you believe you are enough, you have everything you need in the moment, which is the greatest act of self-love is to honor your voice and who you are. Or are you going to use the power to operate in fear and doubt, which is going to take you to a lower version of yourself. Think about the last time you operated out of fear and doubt and what happens. It doesn't mean that we won't ever have fear and doubt. We're humans. We will, but you have a choice. Do you want to go down that pathway, which oftentimes leads us to behaviors of status quo or behaviors that are unstable or regret, or do we want to go down the other way?
0: Mm -hmm. And um. I so want to take your class. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There's so much in there. The word healing came through to me a few times. Yeah. And I get the sense that you see that as an essential part of the process to help people come into their power and be free. Yes. Can you say a little bit more about about that?
1: You're exactly right um, the the premise behind the class is healing. I consider my coaching work healing I believe I was called on this earth to help partner with people to see themselves right so that um, you know they can heal and be all they want to be in the world and um, and the reason why I am intentional with with the use of the word healing is because You know, many of us have had experiences where uh, we have had things said to us maybe as a kid or maybe through professional experiences where we have made agreements in our mind and our spirit that we are less than or that we don't have the power to accomplish certain things in life or that. um, And I want to pull that back and reverse it and Mm so that people see themselves as who they are, which is that they have power to, to do whatever they want to do in the world. Hmm. They have the power to, if they want to move into their idea that's a bold purpose and do something out of the norm, that they have the power to do that or they can continue in their regular nine to five. But um, what I was finding in my own work and interacting with people is a lot of the times when we were showing up in ways that we weren't proud of ourselves. It was because we were coming from an unhealed place, mm-hmm. um, which was causing us to operate out of fear and doubt and do hurtful things to people and hurtful things to ourselves. And I believe when we are healed, then we're able to show up in our best foot possible. And then we can deploy ourselves in such a way that we are contributing to helping ourselves thrive and to help our environments thrive and people around us thrive. Hmm. And, um, so yeah, I actually embraced that term healing. It took me a while though, to embrace it because, you know, I wouldn't have associated that with the work that I was doing when I first started coaching, but as I reflected on my own practice and I started hearing my coaching clients share what they had gained. I was like, Oh, this is no, this is real. This is healing work.
0: Wow. How was it for you to claim that as what you were doing?
1: Ooh, it was, um, you know, it was my own um, process of giving, getting over my own self-limiting belief. Um, mm. it, I had to essentially do my own personal work about why didn't I want to say healing or why didn't I want to say that what I, like, I'm a coach across my entire practice, not just one-on-one, but in general, what I like to do is, is to be in a coaching role. And that was because, you know, in my mindset, you know, people didn't make a living healing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that, um, you know, people didn't take you serious if you didn't say consultant, you know, uh, would somebody come to me if I said I I do healing work? You know, all of those things, again, that that you've heard from somebody else, that you've read that you've taken on as yourself when it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And so I had to essentially pull pull those things out of my mind and say that's not true. This is the type of work that I do. I'm most happy when I do this healing work. And Healing is what we're doing. So I need to be honest with myself about what I'm doing because that's only going to make my practice so much more effective when I'm working with people. So I can say to folks, like, you're going to get healed. Like, I talk about this in the podcast I did for the class. Like, this is, a, you're going to get free and healed during this process mm. in the class. Mm. I, I, mm. I believe it. If you trust the process and you, and you, you know, you do the work, you lean into it, you will experience that by the end of our time together.
0: Yeah. So I love uh, what I'm finding really beautiful. There's so much that's beautiful. But one thing is, we started with this question, what do you say to someone who, who's facing down maybe weeks or a month or more of relative physical isolation from their regular day to day? Mm -hmm. And that can be really—I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why that is understandably scary and disruptive. But the invitation you you offered is maybe this will be a time for reflection. And and I almost now hear you saying that maybe this could even, if we trust ourselves and say yes to the invitation, that this could even be a time of healing. That is that. How does that land with you? Is there a possibility that maybe people could? The, the, the ironic paradox of being faced with a pandemic of sickness is, is it's challenging us to be more healed and more whole.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I send out daily text messages. They're called Be Free Mindset Texts. And they're just texts that I send out to, for people to, uh, you know, start the day from, a, from a, a positive mind and to challenge us to think you know, about the possibilities in the world. And I started this in in May of last year. I don't know half the people that are on the list. I just post it online or on social media and then people sign up for it with their phone numbers. Um, I have about 170 people on the list. And so uh, the one that I sent out on Saturday was that. It says, this is a time for self-healing. Do your actions match your values? Are you living from trust and love? reflect adjust and forgive self-healing frees your mind body and spirit from the heaviness let go and you'll feel tensions release let go and you'll feel self-love return so i do believe that i do believe that this is going to be a time for the reflection and the healing Mm -hmm. if we're Mm -hmm. willing to just uh examine ourselves And uh, I always talk about this from a place of the examination of ourselves is from a place of learning versus judgment. So what often makes people nervous to embark on coaching or self-healing work is that you're kind of scared what you're going to find out about yourself. (laughs) You know, because we tell ourselves this is who we are. And then you're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to find out? And so the way I couch this in my coaching clients, in my class, is that we are viewing this as you're learning about yourself versus judging. So the the frame that we work from is, what am I learning about myself from this experience or from this reflective activity versus judging myself? Like, I can't believe you did this. You're Mm. not a good person. Mm. Now, when we put on the learning lens, we're still being held responsible for our actions. But it's a more graceful way of looking at yourself because today on the, you know, March 23rd, if I look at something I did two days ago, I have eyes to see, okay, what what did I learn about the behaviors that I did on Saturday? okay, I learned, you know, for example, I could say I learned that, you know, when I don't get enough sleep, I'm irritable, whatever, whatever it is you're learning. I can take that and say, okay, this is something I learned about myself so that I can improve for the future. Um, I can't take today's eyes and judge myself for two days ago because in two days, I've grown and reflected and have have had some wisdom in my mm. life within those two days. Mm. So the point is really to to view... These healing processes, coaching processes as learning about yourself so that you can examine and figure out what led you to do those things so that you can make changes and shifts in the future. Versus if you come in with the judgment lens, then you're going to be in a place of um, beating yourself up. You're going to be in a dark place and it's very hard to pull people out of a dark place. And so Mm. rather than go to a dark place, why don't you say, hey, I'm learning something new about myself today i'm going to figure out how and why i did that and then it's going kind to of give me this data will help me make different choices in the future and so i believe when we look at ourselves through a learning lens that helps us embrace the reflection it helps us be um much more graceful with ourselves and to help us realize that we're human like we're not perfect we all step in it sometimes and mm-hmm. so it's honoring our own humanity as a, as a person
0: yeah I love that. That's such a generous and growth-oriented way to be a human being. This sense that we can see our... If we look at ourselves in the past through our present eyes, it's going to be almost like, of course you're going to judge yourself if you're comparing who you were to who you are now or who you want to be. But if instead you can look at your past self or even your present self with an eye towards how can I grow? How can I be my best self? And what does that look like? Feel like sound like that's a much richer and more productive and constructive question. than what did I do wrong? And how, how did I mess up?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we'll make sure to get the link to everyone to sign up for your text message. I'll definitely be doing that. That's a lovely daily service and and more than ever as people are at home getting that kind of, Focused invitation to be their best every day is a wonderful gift I want to ask this the second half of my question that we that you're moving towards but I want to maybe ask it now and And in, in, in light of everything that you've just shared I want to ask this question and see if I can get the right words for it There's a sense that when I'm hearing from you. There's a sense that if we were as a people to look at this moment now, this moment that's happening, this moment that has happened, and rather than go, who's to blame? How did we, you know, we screwed up. This is terrible. This sucks, you know, and and recognize that, yes, we're not saying that we don't take responsibility. We're not saying that we can't learn and grow and do hopefully do this a lot better next time if something like this ever happens again, like this pandemic. But if we were to look at this moment and the way you just described, which is an invitation to learn and grow, as opposed to a, a, a way to chastise ourselves or, or be upset at ourselves for not being good enough, for not, being, not doing it right. What might be possible for us as a people, if, when we get out the other side, what new doors would you hope would open in society and culture and relationships between people if we take this time to heal and learn and reflect as opposed to just burying our heads in the sand. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a very that's a very good question. It's a very good question. Um, and right, yeah, so much can come from it. And um, I like the way that you framed it when you said it's not that we don't acknowledge what's happened, but we don't, you know, stay in that place of uh, judgment. And, you know, my my hope like pie in the sky hope is that, you know, we will take this time to think about how do we restore um, humanity to its intended place? And what do I mean by that? Um, I hope that we will think about you know, how do we raise men and are we raising them in a way to, um, express themselves emotionally, to honor themselves, to, to, uh, honor and treat women well? How are we, you know, raising women to love and honor themselves, to treat each other well, to recognize their value and worth? Um, how are we, Um, interacting with one another, both across family and friends and colleagues. Do I look across the table and see someone as a person for who they they are? Or am I viewing them as objects of something that I need from you? And so therefore, sometimes you just Mm. treat people like objects. Mm. Um, I hope that we can have less heart and hearts. Um, What do you mean by, what do I mean by that? That we would get to a place that because we, Um, we'll start to hopefully love ourselves better and be more reflective of who we are and how we want to show up in our values. Um, That means that when we are interacting with people, we're going to honor the humanity of the other person. And that if I do something that's harmful or hurtful, um, I'll just apologize and honor that um, versus sort of turning into a heart and heart. Um, And so... Um, I, I want to hope that as we think about our treatment of our vulnerable populations, that we'll think differently about them. Like, how do we care for, for the homeless? You know, one thing that the pandemic is doing is really turning people's eyes where people once turned a blind eye and now people are focused on like, well, what happens to people that are in prison with COVID-19? What happens to the homeless population? So I hope it allows us to think about how are we treating people in prison? Are we ensuring that they have basic needs and basic necessities? Are we caring for our homeless population? Um, How do we try to diminish that or eliminate it? Um, When we think about the rebuilding of our systems, right? Like when you're talking about everything from the economy to education and all those things. How are we making these more equitable? Um, because the one thing that this pandemic has done is that it's global, it's everywhere. It's not in some cases where it's like one country experienced it, another country didn't. It's like, we're all going through this. So it's showing that we all have an, one, an interconnected purpose together, but that we all can do a global reset together and how we're thinking about equity and justice. Yeah. You know, are we building our economy in a way that is privileging a certain class of people? Well, now everyone's money has been impacted by this. Like no one has escaped. Right. So what does this mean about how we allocate our money? You know, something that I've been thinking about is that I hadn't even thought about is I go to Orange Theory. Like I'm an avid Orange Theory, you know, buff if you want to call it.
0: You said uh, orange theory that's like orange the, theory that work yeah. out and mm-hmm, that work out. Yeah.
1: And I and and yesterday I thought about like wow, my coaches and all of the hourly people are out of work. How are they going to make it? You know, all of the little ways that I don't think we kind of think about. Like when when you hit with this level of devastation, just how many people are really impacted by this? And that means you know then what does that mean for what we think about hourly workers and the type of protections that hourly workers have so that's so that 's my hope is that we have a different type of conversation, um, which is like because we 've learned these things from the pandemic, how do we do it differently next time. I don't think we should be saying we want to go back to the way things were. I think we should be saying, <laughs> how should we look at uh, hourly workers? How should we treat our homeless population, our people that are incarcerated? Um, how am I treating my family members? How am I treating my spouse? You brought this up a little bit earlier. Um, and and how can I be better at that? And so I'm hoping that it's more... Uh, open-ended questions that leads us to co-creation together. Mm. Um, Co-creation of the world that we're trying to build uh, that's much more inclusive and much more equitable. And I believe we... You know, this is the optimist in me, but, you know, I believe we can make it happen. I do believe we're going to see families healed and we're going to see community. So I think you're going to find we're going to see people who hadn't talked to each other or who hadn't said, I'm sorry. I think we're going to see people really like clean things up. I really do. I believe we're going to see people like start Mm -hmm. to reach out because after you've been in your house for so long, after you've been put in isolation, (laughs) you you do. you, You start to think differently. Um, and, the, and the last thing I would say, my hope is that people will realize the power that they have within themselves and that they would let their light shine and that they would walk in their gifts and purpose. I believe everybody was born to serve a specific purpose in this world. I believe your podcast, the idea that you had months ago who knew that we were going to have a pandemic, That's right. <laughs> but it's coming at, Oh, it's you're launching this at the perfect time that we need this type of, these type of voices in our, in our society for to ground people, to give them hope. So, You know, I, my hope is that people will realize that they have power and choice in every situation, that they will use their gifts. Like this is you using your gift, Andy, right? That you would, we would use our gifts. We won't hide or shrink anymore. We'll use our gifts Mm -hmm. and we'll just go after those bold purposes in the world. You know, Uh, the thing that we know we want to do, but we're afraid to do it because of what other people may say about it. I, I want that to be abandoned and people just, free themselves up to really walk in what they feel like they're called to do on this mm. earth.
0: I don't go to church, but I feel like I have to say amen right now. Is <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> I've been seeing these graphics of the, of how viruses spread and it's an exponential thing. And what I feel like this, what you're speaking to is this recognition The virus is making visible all the ways in which we are already connected. And we've built a society that gives some of us the privilege to ignore those connections or to pretend they don't exist. And it feels like this moment is saying, nope, look, if the person who helps keep you healthy isn't healthy, you are not going to be healthy. If the person who brings you food can no longer bring you food, where are you going to get food? You're going to go home. So, yeah. so there's this possibility that on, the, on the, the inverse of that, which I hear you speaking to, is that we are also always, all the time, impacting each other in invisible ways. Yes. And because we don't see it, we don't think it's real. Or mm-hmm. We don't believe it. But so if there's, if there's a positive corollary to the negative reality of this virus telling us that we got to be careful or, or we're going to get sick or someone we love is going to get sick. The, the positive version of that is we've got to be courageous and we've got mm-hmm. to be bold to know that we're going to impact people that we have never even met and may never even meet if we're standing in the kind of freedom and choice and presence that you're walking in.
1: Yes. Yeah. Amazing. 100%. You did it. You just, you summed it up so well.
0: <laughs> Thank you for opening that door for everyone, for me and for everyone who's listening. I think the the piece I want to underline here as we come down the home stretch, it's this thing, it's what we started with and it's what you landed with co creation. Co creation. To create with another something together. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to answer those questions about how do we make sure everyone has a home, you know, that someone, like it's, I'm in Massachusetts, it's, I'm looking out my window, it's snowing right now. What, mm-hmm. what if I didn't have a home to go to? Right. And what if no one would let me in because they're worried I have a virus, right? Like mm-hmm. we, need to, we need a system that acknowledges that this person needs somewhere to go because they're a person. And if we can build that system, the kind of beautiful thing I think that I hear you saying is that we can co-create that.
1: Mm-hmm. We can
0: invite more people to the table to decide together as opposed to deciding for. As opposed yeah. to, Hey, we're going to tell you how this is going to work, but rather together we're going to figure out how we can work, make this right. work then we're going to have a system that actually benefits everyone. Yep. Like, I think there's a fear or a doubt, to use your language, that if we invest in supporting everyone, somehow those who are getting a lot are going to lose. Like, there's this kind of win-lose yeah. mode. And it's like, no, actually, you're going to win. You're going to, get, you're going to get it all, and everyone's going to get it all. We have yeah. enough abundance for everyone on this one. Mm-hmm. We figure this out. Mm-hmm.
1: Can I just touch on that about the Please. whole like the yeah. um, the doubt mindset? So part of when I was looking at conscious leadership um as a as a concept for the class it started to uh, give me insights into the work that I was doing with equity and inclusion. And what I was discovering is that, and why I've been started to use this to build my conscious leadership for equity framework is that, um, part of the challenges that we have with advancing equity in the world and advancing diversity and inclusion is a couple of things. Uh, one, you know, we often approach this from a deficit mindset and which which makes kind of a group of people feel like they don't have power or choice to change situations. But what I found is that wh- when we look at bias-based acts, whether it's an individual act against you and me or s- something systemic, you know, with, some of, with our policies, it is it's a fear-based action that's driving it. It's fear of the unknown, fear of the other, that is it's a fear-based mindset that drives people to, to have those um, perspectives and not want to share. And what I found is that, you know, the reason why people resist what you were just saying as it relates to equity or resist opening up their hands and sharing is because they come at it from a fear-based lens, which is in a deficit thinking, which is that there's not enough resources in the world So if I have to share, then I'm going to lose something. Um, And so the view of it is they don't see the abundance. They see the deficit. People see it from a deficit lens. And that is coming. And it's a doubt. So that's where the doubt comes in. It's like, I don't believe, you know, it'll be, it's going to be enough for everybody. Versus if you operate from a place of trust and love, the the first thing is that you're, one, you see that you're you're enough and you view the world from an asset lens. There's enough. Everything I need exists in the world. When I need it, it will come to me. There's enough for everybody in the world. And um that's one of the biggest distinguishing factors. If you really listen to people who resist equity, resist justice, you will just hear all the fears and doubts that's playing in their mind over and over. You can hear that as a if you could use one word to code everything they're saying, you would see that. Mm. And you know, versus the trust and love is different. So I want to say something um, here that uh, I didn't get a chance to say, but I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why I talk a lot about power and power and choice is because I believe if people really realize that the power they have within themselves to, 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 to live the life that they feel called to live. I think we would treat each other differently. I think we would see the world from a place of abundance. Um, I think if we just saw just the greatness that's inside of ourselves, and we loved that part of ourselves, that would help us to be better humans to one another. And, um, you know, I just finished a draft um, of my first book called The Power Within Me. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> I finished it nice. uh, two weeks ago. It's with That's the editor now. That's a
0: moment. Congrats. It
1: is. Oh, my gosh. Andy, I'm so excited about it. But the oh, book I'm is crazy. written for that person that, you know, they have this uh, on the outside. They seem like they have everything all together. But on the inside, They they have this dream to use their their gifts, which means their natural Mm talents because they want to do something bold in the world. But they're they're gripped by fear and doubt of what other people would say about them and whether or not they're going to be successful at it. And so the book is all about. Uh, helping them peel back the layers so that they can recognize the power within themselves to walk and live in their purpose. And it's like for the coaching client, I'll never meet, but it's like walking the person through that process over eight chapters. And I just, the reason why I keep talking a lot about this power and choices, because I just want people to see that within themselves, because when you recognize who you are and what's inside of you, you will behave a lot differently yeah a lot differently and so i'll just say this to bring it down on a granular level to people cuz folks sometimes say needs to sounds great but like how do i do this every day yeah. there's four steps that i believe any person can do to deepen their consciousness which is just to slow down and try to show up in a way that honors you know self trust and self love um the first thing is is to realize that You have power and choice in every situation. That's number one. That's the first thing. Um, And with that, you get to make a choice. You just ask yourself, how do I want to use, you know, my power in this situation, which is how do I want to use my mindsets, behaviors, and emotions? Do I want to use it to instill trust in myself um, and to love myself? then you choose trust and love. Do I want to use it to instill doubt in myself or fear? Most people will say no, but <laughs> in that case, you would choose to operate in fear and doubt. That's the first point is to realize you have power and choice in every situation. And then you ask yourself, how do you want to use your power? It's, it's that question is enough to slow you down to the second step, which is presence. Because a lot of what we do in the world is because we're not present, right? We're just moving in the rat race. So by asking yourself that question, it slows you down, creating a level of presence. In that presence, you then create a level of self-awareness, which is the third step, where you get a chance to really check in on yourself. What's my mindset here? What's my Mm behavior? What are my emotions? That creates a level of you being able to do a check with yourself. What's going on inside of me and around me? which then allows you to do the fourth step, which is intentionality, which is then choose how you want to intentionally deploy yourself. Hmm. So choice, presence, self-awareness, intentionality, just four steps of, of just owning your power, slowing down, you know, that gives you the ability to check in with yourself. And then you be intentional about how you move and, you know, sometimes people say, well, what if someone's in a meeting and they need me to respond quickly or I have to make a decision? I said, you don't have to move at the speed of lightning because everybody around you is moving at the speed of lightning. You can actually slow down and you can do these four things in your head. But mm-hmm. when you slow down, that allows you to be more intentional about how you want to show up, how you want to deploy yourself in the world. And if you are feeling, um, you know, what I always tell people is when you do these four steps, and sometimes people say, Well, I don't know if I'm operating out of fear. And I say, You'll know you're operating out of fear because just pay attention to your emotions. If you're anxious, frustrated, feeling resentment, you know, bitterness, any sort of negative emotion, you're operating out of fear and doubt. Okay? Mm. That's so you can always check in with your emotions. Your emotions are gonna tell you that. If that's the case, then you find yourself feeling anxiety about something. Then you say, okay, what am I? What am I fearful, or what am I doubting? What's going on with me? Just ask yourself that question. Okay, how do I want to use my power? I do I want to use the operating trust and love. Okay, so okay, so what's going on? Mm. <laughs> you know, you, you just slow yourself down because when you operate from a place of trust and love, you are that's going to channel emotions of compassion. Because when you trust yourself. Think about the last time you trust yourself, i.e. you created this podcast. You believed in yourself. You believed in your idea. You believed you were enough. You were the person to do this. That's going to channel positive emotions, whether it's peace, whether it's contentment, whether it's compassion, whatever it is. You are feeling good. Your emotions are positive. That leads to oftentimes behaviors that are brave, behaviors that exercise leadership. But when we are in fear and doubt, we already know what the emotions are going to be negative, like I shared. And then the the behaviors usually are status quo, instability, wavering back and forth. So it's like, where do you want to be in the world? Do you want to be in a place where you're operating from instability and unsureness? Or do you want to be in a place where you feel much more secure? But again, you always have the power to choose those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And I thank you for, uh, celebrating this podcast as an example of that there it's a funny thing and maybe this will be helpful to people listening right so you hear dr anise's sort of four steps here right and and let me just make sure i've got them all choice presence self-awareness and intentionality is that right Mm -hmm. i had it took six separate people who I really respect telling me, Andy, you know, you should make a podcast. <laughs> and I kept talking myself out of it. I kept wavering. I go, that's a good idea. Nah, no, nah, there's a, t- there's a gajillion podcasts. Uh, who am I to, who am I to be this person? Right. Cause I didn't trust myself. I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid that that nobody would listen. I was afraid that people would listen and they wouldn't like it. I was afraid that people would listen and, and think about me in a certain way. But at some point, I started listening to that feedback from the world from people around me, and I said, this feels right. And I'll tell you what, every interview I've done, including this one, mm-hmm. I feel alive. I feel yeah. alive with possibility. So I just want to share that like, yeah. what you're talking about is 100% real, 100% real, and that even if you don't know what the outcome is going to be, I didn't know what what our conversation w- w- was going to end up at. I had no mm-hmm. idea when we started. I trusted that because I was showing up from that place, that choice and that intention that we would have something special and it feels like we really have. So thank you for that.
1: You're welcome.
0: Yeah. So so where I'm going to include everything in the show notes. And I really hope that people sit with that question. Maybe as you go forward to those who are listening, as you go forward in the days and weeks ahead, asking yourself, am, how am I choosing to show up right now? How am I being with other people? What am I aware of? What's here right now? Am I afraid? Am I anxious? And then moving in a different way, setting an intention. If we could all just do that in the days and weeks ahead, there would probably be a lot of healing that happened, wouldn't there? Yeah. 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 So if people want to learn more, they want to get on your, let's say they want to get on your text chain or they want to find out more about your coaching for women and more about your leadership coaching or enroll in the doctoral program, like where could, what's the best place for them to go and find you on, online?
1: Yeah. So, um, the best place to find me will probably be on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and I say that because on my LinkedIn profile, you'll see the number to sign up for the Be Free Mindset text. You'll also see links to the Be Free Woman, which is, uh, work coaching work that I'm doing with, uh, women and soon to be, a, I'm going to be training coaches here pretty soon with that. Oh, nice. And then, um, You'll also see the link to developing capacity coaching, which is the work that I do with organizations around using conscious leadership as a tool for advancing equity. So I would say my LinkedIn profile will give you everything all in one spot. And then from there, you can, of course, um, find me on other platforms. And I know you're going to list those handles uh, down below in the, in the course notes. I'm, I'm actually, I've been on a social media fast for two months So I'll I'll likely be coming off here in the next week or so from that social media fast. So, but I am um, paying attention to LinkedIn. So that's also another reason why I would direct them to my LinkedIn and then they can find everything else from that site.
0: Great. And it sounds like there's so much to be found. Oh boy. Dr. Anise Fisher. Thank you so much for being here. What a treat this has been. I feel my cup feels really full right now. And I can't wait to share this with anyone who's ready to hear what you have to offer because we we need it now more than ever thank you for being a warrior for truth and a warrior for choice and a warrior for freedom it's been a real pleasure
1: thank you so much andy thank you for doing the podcast and for having me
0: you bet you bet and i look forward to talking more soon take all care. right signing off take care everybody thanks for tuning in to the wonder dome This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love on the review boards. And if you're interested in learning more about my transformational coaching work, or if you'd like to get plugged in to exclusive offers and community happenings, sign up for my newsletter at mindfulcreative.coach. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.